Our last Craving Answers Craving God show featured a discussion on marriage. Today, we'll take that conversation to its next logical step. Parenting often follows marriage. Well, yeah, sometimes it precedes marriage, but that's a subject for another day. What does the Bible have to say about parenting or even grandparenting? Even if you are not a parent, you grew up under the guidance of your parents. Mom, dad, and kids, this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God is for you. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, what does the Bible have to say about parenting? Uh, quite a bit. Uh, it says that parenting is really good. Um, some of the Psalms and Proverbs talk about how um, the glory of a father is his children, the glory of a mother is her children. Um, so parenting is important and it's good. It's uh, it's beautiful. It says that uh, parenting is hard. There's a lot of instruction about how to parent in the parent in the Bible, and so uh, we can assume from that that if it's the kind of thing you have to be told how to do a lot, that it's difficult. And it also tells us that it's necessary, that parenting is necessary, that um, we should work to do this. Parenting doesn't just happen naturally. Children, um, in a a verse in the Proverbs that's very, very offensive uh, to us uh, modern individuals, that says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, which means that kids naturally do foolish things. It's that they're, they're born without wisdom. They're born without a sense of, um, uh, I need to uh, uh, sometimes make decisions to do things I don't want to do. Kids always do what they want to do. That's, they're, that's how they're, they're born doing what they want to do. And um, that, that, that leads to some bad stuff. And so to, it has to happen. You, it just, it, you just can't let your kids... Um, grow up naturally. Uh, there's, a, there's a better way to say that. You can't let them grow out with grow up without any sort of direction discipline. or instruction or discipline. Um, we all require this in our kids, especially. Suppose one of our listeners is not a parent, and he or she is thinking that this show is not for him or her. Will our conversation provide a benefit for those who have not yet had children? I hope so. I mean, so. A lot of us have kids in our lives that aren't our kids. Um, you know, kids. Uh, you know, the the friends are our friends' kids, um, nieces and nephews, um, and students so, in the classroom. Yeah, if you're a teacher, students in the classroom. If you if you help coach little league, which I guess if you don't have a kid, it's not many. But some some people get involved in community stuff like that, where they're helping coach or you know, uh, volunteering down at the art center, those sorts of things. The other thing, though, is that kids are a wonderful, um, they're a wonderful case study of humanity in general because they don't have a filter. And they, like I said earlier, they just do what they want. And they don't mind like telling you, I don't care what you want, I want to do what I want. And all of us feel like that, but we've learned to sort of tamp that down and to act nice in you know, out in polite society. But I, I just remember, uh, uh, I'll tell this story real quick. And I'm, I might have told this in here before. 
my daughter's, uh, it might not have been my daughter, one of my kids, their first birthday party, and um, they had, we had gotten them cupcakes, and the kid uh, was screaming for a cupcake. I, this is one of my kids. I want a cupcake. I want a cupcake. I honestly don't, I'm not trying to save them from embarrassment. I honestly don't remember which one it was. It could have been any of them. I want a cupcake. I want a cupcake. And uh, uh, I handed them a cupcake, and they immediately took the cupcake and threw it. And then said, I want a cupcake. I want a cupcake. And I remember thinking, what, am I, what do you want from me? Do you want the cupcake or not? So I'd hand them, the, here's the cupcake. I, you, you asked for a cupcake, here's a cupcake. And they would take it and they would throw it again. Like angrily, not, try, not laughing. I, that, I would understand that. And I remember thinking, this is insane. I don't know what they want. They don't want the cupcake. They do want the cupcake. And then I thought, oh, this is me. They want to be in charge. I recognize this. They want to run somebody. They want to know I'm in charge here. And that's exactly, now I've grown up. I don't ask for cupcakes and then throw the cupcakes anymore. But that impulse inside of my heart is still there. So I think that if we talk, when we talk about kids and parenting, it's, hopefully this will be helpful for those of us who are parents, grandparents, but also I think it's anytime you talk about kids and their psyche and their, the, the way they act and think and talk, you're talking about all of us just in a more undiluted, pure, in-your-face state. And that's helpful. The Ten Commandments include the well-known honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What would you say is the most important understanding of this imperative? Honor your father and your mother. Yeah, it's so for those of you who are familiar with the Ten Commandments, um, God puts this right up there along with, you know, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. He puts that commandment right up there with them. And I, and I think the reason why is, is that God gives all of us parents, not merely out of biological necessity, that's a secondary thing. The primary thing is, is that God gives us parents to reflect himself. And Luther makes this point, I believe, in the large catechism, where he says, um, whether, you're, whether your parents are a good parent or a bad parent, it's the parent that God gave you. And to understand parent, to understand our parents, I, look, to understand, I, I need to understand that my parents are the perfect parents that God wanted me to have. And so the way I treat them is actually a reflection of what I think about him. Do I trust him? Do I think he's a good God? Now, I, I have good parents. They're not perfect parents. There's things that my wife and I have done with our parenting that we said we're not going to do it that way. But my parents are good parents. I, I know that there are people who have really, really bad parents. Does the same hold true for them? And the answer is yes. And, and here's why. I'll say it this way. I talk to quite a few guys, especially, who have hangups about Christianity. They're not really interested in God. Um, and a lot of times when I talk to them, see, sometimes you talk to people who are agnostic or atheist, and their views about God are you know, philosophical or intellectual. Sometimes people are angry, angry. I refuse to believe in a God that would let bad stuff happen in the world. And they're, the idea of a Christian God makes them angry. 
And, and frequently when I talk to them, for some reason, especially with guys, I'll find out that they had a really, really bad father growing up, a father with a temper problem or a father with an alcohol problem, a father who uh, abandoned the family maybe. And I, I'm convinced now, I, and this is, not, uh, this is just dime store psychology, it's not any smart move on my part, their view about God is completely colored by their view of their father. They see God, they see the capital F father through the lens of their own father, and because they hate their own father, they can't imagine loving or believing in any any kind of father, period. And one of the things I want to do is I want to encourage them to see the things that you hate about your father are exactly the things that God is not like. God does not abandon his family. God does not lose control of himself by getting drunk and then do cruel things to his family. Maybe the ancient Greek and Roman gods did, but not the God of the Bible, not the, not, not, not the God of um, the, the Old and New Testament. And to say, yeah, you're right, but our God is, our God is better. Our God is the one true God. And if you have a father who is, was a good father, is a good father, same thing, like the things that you love and value about your father, his loyalty to you, his kindness to you, these are all re- because he's reflecting who God really is. So whether we have good fathers or bad fathers, they reflect either positively or negatively who our real one true father is, the creator of the universe who loves us and wants to be in a relationship with us. And that's why I think God puts this so far up in the Ten Commandments. It's why it's so important. So... Honor your father and your mother comes from Exodus chapter 20. In Ephesians 6, verse 2, Paul quotes this commandment, honor your father and your mother, and then adds, this is the first commandment with a promise. This kind of sounds like a quid pro quo to me. So is it true that if I honor my parents, God will give me a long life? Uh, I, I don't think that's the... I, I don't think... If I obey and honor my parents, I'll live a long time is the connection that's trying to be made there. If you go back to Exodus 20, that, that you quoted this a second ago, Chuck, that, that Paul is quoting in Ephesians 6. And yeah, I probably should have repeated that. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Yeah, so Moses there is saying, I'm giving you a father and a mother who reflect my character you honor them as you would honor me. Paul picks up on this when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And what he means is we obey our parents because our, our parents are reflections of God. Our parents are reflections of the Lord. Moses says, if you do this, your existence in the promised land that I'm giving you will be long. So he's not talking about an individual living a long life. There are bad people who live long lives and good people who live short lives and vice versa. He's saying, I'm giving you Canaan. I'm giving you the promised land. Uh, you know, what today is uh, it, it, the nation of Israel, although that's, it's named the nation of Israel. It's, this is, it's not the people of Israel from the Old Testament. I'm giving you that land, he says, and if you obey your parents in the Lord, if you obey your parents as you would obey and honor me, then I will let you have the promised land for a long time. Paul picks up on that and basically says, like Paul frequently does, 
that promise isn't just about the promised land, it's about the whole earth. God's people are filling the earth, and God's people will someday give his people the whole world. You will have that. You will live long on the earth. If you're the kind of people who, for the sake of Jesus Christ, out of love for God your Father, obey your parents in the Lord. So suppose I were to say that my understanding of the commandment is that the essence of the commandment, honor your father and your mother, means parents are the boss, kids are the subjects. Is that a valid way of looking at it? Uh, sometimes. Uh, sometimes that is. I, uh, my, there's a, a story that we tell in, in my family. Uh, my brother-in-law um, was telling my sister, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle our son. This is back when he was, he's older now, but this is back when he was a little guy. I don't know how to handle him. Like I, how, what do I do? How do I get him to do, uh, to do what he needs to do? And my sister told him, you're the dad, you're in charge. And so my brother-in-law would wander around the house, uh, repeating to himself, I'm the dad, I'm in charge. I'm the dad, I'm in charge. Like kind of under his breath, being a little bit funny. But there's times when anybody who's a parent knows, is the, anybody is it, who's ever taught a group of kids, coached a little league team knows, you're the parent. Sometimes you're the boss. Sometimes you have to say, all right, we can't discuss this anymore. This is what we have to do. It's, I, you know, we'll talk about it later, but right now you have to obey me. Um, that doesn't capture everything that parenting is. Sometimes parents are the boss. Uh, sometimes parents are counselors. Sometimes parents are friends. Sometimes parents lead by example, um, so it's it's a big uh, it's a b- b- bigger picture than just boss. But yeah, but parents frequently just parents need to actually. This is probably a good word for contemporary parents. Um, a lot of parents that, that I see in our culture are good at the friendship part, way better at the friendship part than, for instance, my dad, my 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 great my grandfather. Generations. The ago. way he treated my dad was yeah. not as a friend, was exclusively as a boss. In fact, my dad would say, you know, my hardly ever heard his father, you know, say kind words or be affectionate. He, and he knew his dad loved him. He was not a cruel man at all, but he was very firm. I'm in charge. Uh, as a response, we've kind of swiveled to the other side, and now we want to be our kids' buddies, which is great. It's great. And I do this too, and I'm so glad for the relationship I have with my teenage son. It's really wonderful. But for us, the difficulty is sometimes stepping up and being in charge and saying, you can't do that because that's going to hurt you. And we make excuses. Sometimes we say, well, you have to let them kind of figure out life on their own. And there's truth to that. There is truth to that. There's truth to letting them suffer consequences sometimes. But a lot of times we use that as an excuse to kind of back off from our responsibility to discipline and give correction and instruction. And so somehow figuring out what is, what's the best balance, all these different rules, what's the best balance, and um, it takes wisdom. It's going to be different for every kid too, so. You know, all Christians are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, which begins with the words, Our Father. Should we regard the first person of the Trinity as our parent? Yeah, and this goes back to... Um, what I had said earlier about the Ten Commandments and why God sticks the you know honor your father and mother commandment way up high in the section about him and his own character is because God wants us, he wants to be our father and he wants us to be his kids. That's what he wants. He doesn't want slaves. 
He doesn't want servants. He doesn't want followers. He's not a social media personality. He wants kids. He wants a family, and he wants to be a father. Luther says, and is, so Luther explains what the Lord's Prayer means, and he says, you know, takes that first line, our Father, and he says, with these words, our Father, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and we are his true children. And then he goes on to explain how he invites us to like boldly approach him and like, like little kids do with their father. Like my kids would come up and ask me for anything. And sometimes I'd say no because it was ridiculous. Sometimes I said no because we couldn't do it. Sometimes I would say yes because we could do it. Sometimes I'd say yes just because I wanted to be, I wanted to say yes to them. I wanted them to learn that their father wanted them to be happy. Uh, other stuff too. Sometimes I wanted them to be unhappy temporarily. And this is the way God is for us. And so when we say our father, it's, it, it, we, we genuinely mean it. In fact, God is more our father than I am my kid's father. He is more of a father to them. That's than quite I. a statement. It's 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 the it's the reality. I am the reflection. I'm the echo. I, I'm the image of his true fatherhood, and I have to remember that. As Angela and I have uh, grappled with this, our kids are getting older now. Very very soon, our oldest is going to be, um, you know, graduating from high school and heading off to college. And I've w- wanted to hold on to that, and you know, I I, I don't want to lose what I've had with him. And I've had to grapple with the realization that he doesn't belong to me. I mean, he, he's my son. He always will be my son. But, but ultimately, he's God's before he's mine, and God gave him to me. I didn't, I didn't earn him. It would be foolish for me to think that Angela and I somehow produced him with our own abilities. You know? I, he, he's, he's, I've seen, I've seen, oh, I, don't, I was going to say video, I, I guess... I'm not sure where I saw it, but it, one of the things that some new moms and dads these days like to say to each other is, look what we've done. They just look at each other almost in adoration at this tremendous achievement or accomplishment. <laughs> I'm thinking, that's probably not the way to look at it. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, it's not. All of us who are parents have like, you know, looked at our kids and been like, whoa, that's just like me. Or just marveled, you know. At, Proud at, of myself. Yeah, it's and there's a part of that that's just sort of normal. And honestly, there's a part of our kids that have drawn Angela and I closer to each other. This, this human being who somehow is a product of our combined DNAs, uh, somehow has been, uh, uh, you know, grown up in our house, it is amazing, but ultimately, you're totally right. At the end of the day, like honestly, my role biologically in making Harry was not a difficult one. And the hard work is this creation of this human being that happened inside of Angela's womb and then grew up, and he is a combination of our biology. He's a, a, partly a combination of the way he was raised in our house, but he's his own different thing too. Something that can't be explained by nature or nurture. It's and one of the most mysterious things it's that we com- can... Completely mysterious until you realize that, oh, wait, he has another father. He has a real father. He has a father who loves him more than I do. And nobody on earth, nobody on earth loves Harry like I do. Nobody does. But 
God loves Harry way more, infinitely more than I could ever love him. And I have to remember that. I have to remember that. And um, and that's good. That's good. Like, because however much I love Harry, it's not enough. I've, I lose my temper with Harry sometimes. I'm neglectful of him sometimes. I root for myself over him sometimes. And um, my heavenly father never does. Harry's heavenly father always loves him and puts him first and, and, and um, is watching out for his best interest. And that's a comfort to me. I don't have to be the perfect parent because he already has the perfect parent. And this is, this is why it's so important to raise our parent, to, to raise our kids in the Lord is because you just can't do it. You can't raise a kid on your own. It's impossible. And we should know that because we know that making like the birth of a child is impossible. The, the whole rest of the story is impossible too. But we do have a Heavenly Father who can do that. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. We'll go back to uh, a chapter that we talked about a little bit ago, Ephesians 6, where Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which is kind of what I think you referenced there. It seems that while children are to honor their parents, hey, mom and dad have responsibilities before God as to how they treat their kids. How do you read it? Yeah, definitely. I, this is, that, that, that verse is, it's going to take all the wisdom that God can give us to understand and live out what that verse means. Don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't provoke your kids to anger, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so anybody who knows kids knows that if you try to raise them up with nurture and admonition to instruct them, they're going to get angry. And so what that what's what, what Paul's calling it's us to do? Cupcakes. Yeah, it, what Paul's calling us to do is to figure out to, to to love our kids enough that when we do nurture them, admonish them, instruct them that we don't provoke them to anger. And that's difficult because you try and tell your kids what to do. They get angry because they don't want to be told what to do. They're going to throw the cupcake. And our natural response as parents is to get angry back. And to not feed that cycle, to love self-sacrificially, but to, but to not bail on the project of instructing them, admonishing them, nurturing them, raising them up. It's, it's hard work. It's hard work, and you really have to prove to the kid, I love you more than I love myself here. This is not a power play. I, am, I, I have tried hard. I can't say I've done it perfectly because I can't remember right now, but I've tried hard never to say the phrase, you'll obey me when you're living in my house. I'm your father, and you'll do what I tell you to do. There's an element of truth, but I don't want my kids to think that what's happening is a, a, a typical postmodern power play where this is about me ruling over them. I want to serve them and love them. That does not mean let them, letting them do what they want, by the way. I, but I want to serve and love them by giving up myself for them so that I can instruct them and admonish them and correct them, but in a way that they'll hear me and listen to me and know that I'm on their side. I'm doing it for their benefit, even if they disagree with me. But I've not done that perfectly. It's incredibly hard work. But I, I think that's at the heart of parenting is what Paul is saying in that verse. So if I understood you correctly, you're saying that parents are going to have to do certain things, create limits, enforce boundaries, going to make the kids angry from time to time. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So whenever the conversation turns to, should we spank our kids or not, this verse often gets quoted. Does God want us to spank our kids? Uh, so I know I, that's an unfair question, but I really enjoyed asking it, I have to admit. It's, it's a fair question. It's a good question. It's a question that... Uh, it's a question that, that needs to be asked and, and thought through. Um, it, it depends. Uh, it depends. Um, there are times when that's appropriate. There are times when that's inappropriate. I, so, so I don't, I, I haven't, I, I haven't, you know, slapped my kids' hands or swatted their butt in years now. It's just like it would be, they would laugh at me like my oldest would laugh at me, like if I swatted his hand. for. But when they were little, and you know they would do something. I'm just going to try and you know, very fancy. When I grew up, you know, the, reach for a cupcake. You swat their hand. <laughs> no, it'd be something like you know, uh, trying to like t- stand on tippy toes and reach up and touch the top of the stove when mom was cooking dinner, and you'd say, "No, don't do that," and they would do it again. No, I said, "Don't do that." It's, it's you're going to hurt yourself. That's very hot up there, and they would continue to do that. Then that would be appropriate. To, I would smack their hand. And it's not because you don't do it. You cannot do it out of anger, but you have to do it to send. Yeah, but we do do it out of anger. Yeah. If well, we're honest. Yeah, well, you shouldn't. No, yeah, nobody should ever do something like that in anger. Um, I'm not saying that that p- people don't. Uh, yeah, they do, we do. But we should never do that. The goal is not like, you're not listening to me. You're not obeying me. I'm going to smack your hand. The goal is, okay, they're not understanding language right now. They're determined to do this. I have to show them that there's some sort of bad consequence involved, and there's a choice. I can let them experience the bad consequence of the second-degree burns when they grab the top of the stove, or I can smack the top of their hand right now and give them just a little jolt of pain to send that message. That's appropriate. With our older kids, it it won't be a smack on the hand, but... I've told the kids before, okay, you can't have the car this week. You know, I told you to be in at 1030 and you walked in here at 1050, you know, you're, you're done with the car. And that's the same sort of thing. There's consequences. You don't show up. So you don't show up on time for curfew. Nothing really bad happens here. I tell you not to, if you don't, if you show up 20 minutes late for work or for class, when you head off to college, there's going to be worse consequences. So I'm going to try and send a message. You don't get the car to put a little teeth to it. And that, that sort of thing is appropriate. And it's it would be inappropriate to say, well, you just have to let them kind of be who they are. That would be that would be very damaging to them. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to give little tiny bits of messages, painful messages, to say, don't do what's going to hurt you even worse. So you can't have the you can't have the car for a week. Oh, yeah, that's a consequence. The rod, the rod of Proverbs 13. This probably doesn't happen anymore, but in my memory, older people, not even my generation, but maybe my parents' generation, grandparents, described what it was like when they were disobedient or got in trouble to be taken outside and they got to watch as mom or dad cut a what they called a switch, a branch off of a tree, and then inflicted pain with the uh, with the switch just the trip out to the tree probably was more agonizing than losing the car for a week um, 
I'm thinking that, I don't know, I'm trying to understand the language of Proverbs 13 and whatever millennium that was in the context of today where I watch parents with small children today and they almost seem to be constantly negotiating and and rationalizing and trying to convince the child that here's the way to go and there is almost no do that again and you can't drive the car for a week or you can't have the cupcake right. or whatever it is it's and they all seem so very frustrated to me is it because they've spared the rod yeah for sure i mean this is uh, i'm not encouraging people to go out and cut a switch off the tree yeah. i'm not doing that but yeah but part of this part of the part of the problem is yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying there. I'm not at, like all those stories from the from the old timers about well, back in my day, you know, they'd beat us until our ears bled. I, I don't have any. I, I don't. <laughs> and think you're that not that's... exaggerating all that much, right, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't think that that's helpful. I but um, um, part of the problem is Freud, like like he always is. You know, f- for Freud, parents were, um, parents were, uh unfortunate biological necessities. It's how we got into the world. But if you're going to be a free human being, you have to cut yourself free from your ties to your parents. That's part of the problem. And we all... That sounds kind of unbiblical. Very much so. But all of us like in our culture kind of grapple with that. Like, I need my kids to be independent. And, and of course, the problem is... Uh, one of the problems is there's a bit of truth in that. You do want your kids to grow up to be independent in a sense. But they have to do that with the kind of strictures that would protect them. This is connected to the belief, this is a very, very unfortunate belief in our culture, that human beings are essentially intrinsically good. And they end up being bad because of bad outside influences. But basically, kids are inherently good and pure, and so they just need to be encouraged to do what they want naturally. The Bible absolutely disagrees with this. So does life. Yes, uh, the book of Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I think I quoted that earlier. Um, kids don't do what's right naturally. Kids aren't honest naturally. Kids aren't sweet naturally. Now, I know that there are kids who are sweet and there are kids who are honest. But, but naturally, kids do what they want to do. Naturally, kids are selfish. We, we're born being selfish. And so we, from the moment of our birth, we need discipline and correction. We need people to come along and say, um, this is how you don't do it. This is how you do it. If you don't do it the right way, I'm going to help you do it the right way. If you continue to do it the wrong way, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to discipline you. And we don't do that anymore. And as a result, it's a cottage industry in our culture to complain about the new generation. Well, this is the generation we created. You know, we told them, you're good, just do what comes naturally, follow your own heart, believe in yourself, follow your dreams, all these things. Like, as I'm saying them now, I, I realize that people listening are going to be offended and angry at me for poking at this, but that's just nonsense. You shouldn't believe in yourself. You should believe in God. You, you, you shouldn't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you to all kinds of bad places. And I know every Disney movie, every rom-com that's ever been made tries to teach us we just have to follow our heart. But the human heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah says this. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. To pretend like my heart is going to naturally do what's right is just to be completely unaware of my own sins and weaknesses. 
Two more short, quick questions here. Does any of this conversation pertain to grandparenting? If somebody is listening to us today, he's a grandfather, and he's kind of amused by the conversation, you talking about your, your parenting experiences, et cetera, is he watching from a distance, or is he right there involved in this discussion? He should be right there involved in this discussion. Grandmothers and grandfathers. Um, so part of this, too, uh, let, let's kick Freud in the butt again. Part of this, too, is that you, we have this thing in our culture where, you know, I'm a parent, my wife's a parent, kid turns 18, uh, it's, it's gone up now, it's like 22, and now he's out. Don't belong to us anymore. You know, we'll call him on the phone. We'll hang out with him. Hopefully, maybe we can take vacations with him. He'll come over on Christmas with his new family. But basically, our role now as parent is over. That's not the way it's designed to work. Your role of parent never ends. Now, it, it changes. I'm not going to, I don't slap Harry's hand anymore when he teach, reaches for the stove. He's usually trying to make himself some food. I'm not going to like give him the same sort of discipline and correction when he's in his mid-30s that I did when he was 8 or when he was 14. But I will still be there to parent and love. Grandparents is the same way. Grandparents need to walk with their kids through the process of having and raising kids. The grandparents have already done it. Maybe they did it wrong. but Some, some bits they did wrong, certainly. Some bits they did right, certainly. But to walk with their kids through this life, of, like it's a, it's a mystery. When you when you come home with your first kid from the hospital, what do I do? That's the question that's going through your head. That's where the grandparents come in, and they can kind of walk with you. Th- but they a lot of times they step back. No, they're fr- you know we don't want to get in their way, and the kids push back. You know, hey, we just want to do this on our own, and it's really unfortunate. Now, once the kids get to a certain age, usually I need somebody to drive me to school age or. I need somebody to watch me so mom and dad can go have a weekend away age. Then the parents kind of lock back in with their parents to say, hey, grandma and grandpa, can you come and help us? It should be more than that, though. It's, you know, the Bible talks about the promises, and the Psalms talks a lot about the promises that God makes to children's and children's children. That's grandparents. And so, uh, yeah, grandma and grandpa should be very much involved in the life of their kids and their grandkids. So let's summarize. Your parents are still in your life, and you and Angela are the parents, as you've talked about, of a son and two daughters. Based on you, Aaron, your unique experience as a parent, what perspective can you share? My perspective will be one of um, the need for grace, because I'm not a great son and I'm not a great parent. Um, But I will say that it's, it's been interesting living in that web of having parents and thinking about how did they do things? Do I want to do it like them or not like them? Uh, and raising my kids too. And also I've come to see more and more, uh, this is maybe something that I've thought about maybe the past decade, that my responsibility to my parents did not end when I left the house when I was 22 and I don't need to obey them anymore. I am called to honor and obey them uh, for the duration. And that means that I'm supposed to be caring for them and watching out for them and listening to their counsel and advice and even obeying them when they say, hey, I think you really need to do this. And I've been trying to grow and learn in that. I'm not very good about that either. Uh, but to be both, most of us for most of our lives are both child and parent at the same time. It's a great, it's a great way, to, that's a great way to, to, uh, to experience God's love for us through our parents reflecting God and us being able to reflect who God is to our kids as well. 
Well, this conversation on the subject of parenting is episode 74 of Craving Answers, Craving God. It follows nicely, I think, episode 73, where the topic was marriage. Please check it out and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.